welcome to episode 16 of George's Random Astronomical Object. In every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates, and take a few minutes to talk about what makes that object so interesting to astronomers. So let's run the random number generator. The coordinates for this episode are 19 hours, 55 minutes, 42.7 seconds right ascension, and plus 51 degrees, 31 minutes, 49 seconds declination. This points to an object in the constellation Draco called J1955 plus 5131. When I started looking into this object, I realized that this object is studied a lot by radio astronomers, and since I work at the Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics, I thought I would ask one of the radio astronomers that I work with to talk about this object in more detail than what I would be able to do. And in fact, my supervisor agreed to talk about this object. So here is Tom Muxlow. Well, I'm going to be talking about the radio source J1955 plus 5131. That's got a telephone name because it describes its position in the sky. That's its coordinates. However, subtitle to this little presentation is Playing Golf on the Moon. Well, it's to do with subtended angular sizes and how we make sense of them and how you can imagine how big things appear to be on the sky. But I'll come back to that later. The object is a radio source and an X-ray source and is bright and visible light. It's a very luminous active galactic nucleus. I'll explain what it is in a second. It's at a redshift of 1.2 and that's a long way back into the history of the universe. We're seeing it as it was when it's only 5 billion years old. That's about 37% of the present age of the universe. The light has taken nearly 9 billion years to reach us. Well, what is an AGN, an active galactic nucleus? This, in essence, is a supermassive black hole in the middle of a galaxy, which is accreting material that is, absorbing material. Normally, the material falls down towards it, and as the material gets close to the supermassive black hole, and before it gets drawn in, it gets very hot and emits a lot of radio waves and X-rays and visible light. It's also known as a blazar because it's variable. The accretion rate of the material falling onto this black hole is changing with time. How big is this black hole? Well, I can give you an estimate of how much mass there is there. It's between around 3 and 5 billion solar masses, where solar mass is the mass of our sun. And as I say, these exist in the nuclear of nearly all big galaxies and typically contain less than 1% of the total mass of the galaxy. What's the size of this supermassive black hole? We've talked about the mass. We can look at a galaxy called M87, very well-known recent images from the Event Horizon Telescope that have actually taken a radio picture of the central region around the black hole, and the inner part of the accretion disk is about 350 astronomical units in size. That's about 10 times the orbit of Neptune. Although that's a physically large region on our scales, the scales of the universe and the galaxies, 
That's a very small region indeed. Why is it important that it's so small? Well, if it is small and it appears to be a point, we can measure the positions of points with great precision, both in the radio and in visible light. And using this and other distant quasars, which are also tiny points, we're able to actually align the overall reference frames in the radio and in the visible field. That's able to align optical pictures and radio pictures one on top of each other. That's important in understanding and interpreting what we see out in the distant universe where physically large events subtend tiny angles. So therefore, the accuracy to which we can actually put one picture on top of the other and see how they relate is important. What sort of accuracy are we talking about? How accurately can we actually align the radio and visible reference frames? Well, the absolute position accuracy, by which we can look at the absolute position of the object given in its coordinates, that's known to about 40 micro arc seconds. Well, that is 40 millionths of one arc second, where one arc second is a 60th of one arc minute, and one arc minute is a 60th of one degree, and a right angle is 90 degrees. So that's a tiny amount, but what does that actually mean? Well, this is where the subtitle comes in, playing golf on the moon. When the Apollo 14 lunar lander went to the moon, Alan Shepard, one of the astronauts on that trip, took with him a golf club and a couple of golf balls and hit a couple of shots on the lunar surface. Well, I want you to imagine that scene and think about the angle subtended by the golf club head as viewed from the Earth. That is an angle of about 40 micro arc seconds. The ball itself is about 20 micro arc seconds across. We can measure relative positions within the radio and visible reference frames to about 20 micro arc seconds, or perhaps a little even better than that. But the absolute position is about 40 micro arc seconds, which is about the size of a golf club head. So this is great precision. We can align things a great distance and with great accuracy, and therefore try to understand what's happening in the physics in the early universe. Well, apart from accurate positional work, I have an interest in this particular object as a radio source. I've said it's a bright blazer and shows variability in the optical and radio brightness from changes in the accretion rate, and I'm studying the radio jets and hoping to constrain our accretion models, and through their interactions, that's the jets and the material falling in towards the black hole, probe the nature of the interstellar medium in the early universe. This object is so very bright because the inner part of the accretion disk, as it spins up and gets faster and faster and hotter and hotter, actually pushes material off the inner part of that disk and wraps it up into a sort of jet, and that jet gets expelled out along the rotation axis of the whole accretion disk system. Those jets contain plasma and they radiate in the radio with synchrotron emission, and they are moving very rapidly as they leave the accretion disk, approaching the speed of light. Synchrotron emission is emission caused by charged particles when they encounter magnetic fields. They have to spiral around the magnetic fields, and as they do so, they actually radiate radio waves. The jets contain both plasma, that is, electrons, we believe, free electrons moving very rapidly, close to the speed of light, and magnetic fields. As the electrons spiral around the magnetic fields within the jets, they radiate radio waves. However, 
the bulk motion of the jet material as it's coming out, because it's going very fast and perhaps 98% the speed of light or thereabouts, this means that although the electrons radiate in all directions equally within their own frame of reference, to any observer outside who isn't moving, that doesn't appear to be the case. The radiation gets beamed forward, like a searchlight, into the direction in which it's travelling. So if the jet is moving towards you, it appears very bright indeed. If the jet is going away from you, you don't see it. We find a lot of bright quasars in the universe that happen to be pointing towards us. That's why they're bright. And the fact that they're bright is why we detect them. So there's a strong selection effect there. But when they're coming towards you, they're very bright, and they're one-sided because the one going the other way has disappeared because it's beamed away from you. But if you look very carefully at the jet coming towards you, you can see motions within that jet, and you can look at the interactions of the jet with the interstellar medium. There are knots of emission caused by interactions with the surrounding material. Some of these are moving within the jet, some of them are stationary, caused by the jet bouncing off material that's stationary within the galaxy. And you can actually look to see the detail of how the jets are affecting the material in the galaxy, perhaps causing stars to form, or in fact shutting down star formation. So that is the sort of interactions that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the jets, and I'm doing that with radio telescopes, both in the UK and across the world looking in great detail at the motions of the jets and the knots in the jets within this system. So I'm looking for jet motion and not knots within the jets moving, and I have early images of this object back in the early 1990s from archival data, and I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at the same jets and knots now, some nearly 30 years later. And that gives me a long time scale in order to look for motions within these knots and to see them moving out from the accretion disk at the centre. One of the knots that I'm studying may well have moved by around 7 milliarc seconds in 30 years, which is about the width of the lunar excursion module on the surface of the Moon. Finally, these jets eventually run into big pools of plasma way outside the galaxy. And this radio source is actually very large. If you deproject it, because we know that it's pointing pretty well close to the line of sight, because the one sided jet is very bright, if you deproject that, you get a linear size in excess of 3 million light years. And since the edges tend to move out at about 5% the speed of light, this implies the age of the radio source is somewhere between 60 and 100 million years. And one of the questions I also want to answer is, has this been continuously fueled by the accretion disk over that whole length of time? Or has the fueling been interrupted at some point and the jet stopped and then restarted? So is this one long emission or is this a whole series of interrupted events? And the present intense activity is just the latest episode in that history. And I can do that by looking at some of the detailed images of the radio knots to see if they are knots associated with continuous jets just moving through material or are they are a new working surface from a new jet moving outwards. So I'm looking at that by looking at some of the knots in the outer structures at great detail as well. So this is not only an interesting object used to align the reference fields of visible and radio sources, but it's also an interesting object in its own right. 
and gives me the chance to look at both the interstellar medium in the early universe and whether or not this object has actually been in continuous emission for maybe a hundred million years, or whether or not it's had a sequence of fueling events, and this is just one of the latest outbursts. It's truly an interesting object. And that was Tom Muxlow talking about J1955 plus 5131. And the location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of this object in the sky is in eastern Quebec, about 150 kilometers inland from the Gulf of St. Lawrence. There actually doesn't seem to be much there. There aren't even roads in this part of Quebec. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobjects.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects as well as view images of those objects, and send me random feedback. My special guest this week was Tom Muxlow. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de, which is distributed by filmmusic.io under a CC 4.0 attribution license. The sound effects are from the Freesound Project at www.freesound.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>